Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. It's really good to have you with us today. I want to say happy Memorial Day weekend to you. We are so grateful for those who have sacrificed and allowed us to have the freedoms that we have in our country today. So happy Memorial Day weekend to you. We are beginning a brand new series called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. If you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, we are going to set you up for success. If you can know and believe the six principles in this series, you're going to be so far ahead of your peers. I get emails from people sometimes in their 50s and 60s, and they'll say things like this, oh, I wish I would have known this sooner. But what's interesting is that they're never saying that in a negative way. It's always very positive. They're grateful that God has finally revealed this to them. So if you're in that age range, we are going to try and help you avoid the major pitfalls that people go through in midlife. And if you're in your 70s or 80s, I am telling you, God is not done with you yet. There's always time to learn something new and to let God in. In fact, today's message is titled, No One is Too Far from God. There is not one person watching right now who has sinned too much or ignored God for too long. When my son Jasper was just two years old, I took him with me to one of my other kids' school conferences. And as we were leaving the conference, my older son made a joke to his teacher. He said, oh, Jasper's such a troublemaker. And the two teachers kind of laughed, and I laughed a little bit, and we got out to the hallway, and I looked down at my two-year-old son, and he had the saddest look on his face. And he said, Dad, that, that hurt my feelings. And there was other people around us in the hallway, so I kind of pulled him into a bathroom, and I got down on his level. And I said, buddy, I love you no matter what. I said, you are a good boy. Even when you don't listen, I love you because you are my son. And sometimes you don't know what a two-year-old understands at that age, but he leaned in and gave me the biggest hug he had ever given me before. And that's where we sat, holding each other right next to the toilet, having one of the best father-son moments that I can remember. I wonder today if God wants to say to some of us, I love you no matter what. That Jesus Christ came down to our level. That's what he did. He left heaven he took on human flesh and he came down to our level. And he didn't say, oh, you got to clean up your life first. Once you get your act together, then maybe, you know, I'll give you some attention. No, no. He said, while you are still sinners, Christ died for us. That God may be looking at you today and saying, I love you because you are my son. I love you because you are my daughter. Many of us would love to believe that that's true. But yet there's still something inside us that goes, oh, not me. I mean, I got pregnant when I was a teenager. I've been divorced not once, but twice. I'm an addict. I have anger problems. My kids aren't speaking to me right now. I don't go to church as much as I should or, or know the Bible very well. I, I just don't fit the mold. Years ago, I brought my family to visit a different church, and I don't know why I had this impression, but I had the impression that everybody who went to this church was real strict, and they were kind of super-duper Christians, and so we sat down for the message, and I looked around, and I realized that all the other little kids were somehow trained to sit quietly and listen to a 45-minute message 
about how the nation of Israel was restored after the exile. My kids were not trained to do this. My oldest son was three years old at the time, and he had snuck in some pirate toys. And he was actually doing pretty well. He was sitting there playing with the pirate toys. But at one point, he looked up at me, and he goes, Dad, Jack Sparrow just cut Billy Bones' head off. And he said it so loud that people around us could hear it. And I was so embarrassed. I remember thinking, yeah, yeah. Just like the Israelites who didn't believe in Jesus were cut off from the vine. Right, son? You ever felt that way before? You ever gotten around a group of Christians and thought, I don't belong. I don't belong with these holier-than-thou types. I have so much sin in my life, and their life just seems perfect. I mean, I've sinned so much, I don't think God could ever show me mercy. I've ignored God for so long that he's never going to want to use me to make a difference in this world. I feel so ashamed. I feel so guilty. If you've never felt that way, I'm guessing you will at some point. I even feel that way as a pastor sometimes. I mentioned this before, but a few weeks ago we were in a series on marriage. And my wife and I got in one of the biggest fights that I can remember so here we are in a series on marriage, and I'm up front speaking, oh, here's what you need to do in your marriage, and we get into this big fight. And Sarah and I talked about it the next morning. We thought, what if our kids or people in our church had heard us speaking to each other like that? How embarrassing would that have been? So it's not just when you first put your faith in Christ that you need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded every day that no one is too far from God. I get this idea from 1 Timothy chapter 1. In fact, this series that we're in, we're going to go through a book in the New Testament called 1 Timothy. And so just to give you a little bit of background, 1 Timothy was written by a guy named Paul. And he wrote it to this man, Timothy, who was a younger person. Some commentators believe that Timothy was actually a teenager. And so Paul had become a mentor of sorts in his life. And now Paul is writing what you could call a what I wish I would have known sooner memoir. Look at what he says to Timothy in chapter 1. He says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He wrote Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, many other books. He was a former Jewish religious leader who ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he went all throughout the Mediterranean world, telling people about Jesus and planting churches. In light of that, does it surprise you that he refers to himself as the worst of sinners? Everything I just said is true. He wrote half the New Testament. He planted churches all throughout the world. But here's what's also true. When Paul was a Jewish religious leader, he had a reputation for killing Christians. He would track them down, beat them, stone them, imprison them. He was on his way to do more of that when he saw a bright light from heaven and Jesus Christ spoke to him in a vision. If ever there was a man who would go, you know what, 
God's not going to want anything to do with me because of my past. It would have been Paul. And yet here he is and he's saying, hey, here's a saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Notice that he says, this is a trustworthy saying. A saying is something that more than one person can say. So when Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, each of us ought to be nodding our head going, yeah, me too. Sin is the great equalizer. I've had people say to me before, you know, you shouldn't talk about sin in church because it will kind of turn people off. And I always think, are you kidding? Sin is one of the few things that every one of us has in common. We all sin. In fact, if you go through your newsfeed, I'm guessing that the things that make you upset and angry at the root, at the core, the problem is sin. We think the problem is some politician or political party. We think the problem is some church leader or somebody else who did something or didn't do something. But at the core, the problem is sin. Go through your newsfeed. Corruption. Greed. Racism. Sexual harassment. Murder. 620 Christians have been murdered in Nigeria since the beginning of this year. And it doesn't even make your newsfeed. It's like people don't even know it's happening. Sin is the great equalizer. It's something that we all struggle with. And it's not just in your newsfeed that we see sin. We see it in our homes. We see it in our kids. We see it in our spouse. And if we're self-aware enough, we will see it in ourselves. But notice here, What's true about sin? The consequences of sin may differ, but the penalty is the same. The consequences for your sin may differ. For example, the consequence of stealing a piece of gum is going to be different than the consequence for stealing a car. The consequences of sin may differ, but the penalty is the same. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. He doesn't say that the wages of big sins is death. Some of us would like to believe that. We would like to believe that we're going to go to heaven someday because we're a good person. That there's some righteousness that we've achieved. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say if you've avoided these three or four sins, then I think you're good. The rest of them we'll just kind of overlook. He says the wages of sin is death. So when Paul says... Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We all ought to be nodding our head going, yeah, me too. We've all done things that are judgmental, prideful and lustful. It's, it's not just some celebrity. It's us that's done that. We've all lied. We've all hurt other people. We've all ignored God or disobeyed God. We've all sinned. We've all tried to cover up our sin, hide our sin. And yet look at what Paul says to Timothy in the very next verse. He says to Timothy, but for that very reason, the reason that I am the worst of sinners, I was shown mercy 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You have a story to tell. Our divorce care ministry is led by people who have been through a divorce and God has healed their heart and now they have a story to tell. Our addiction recovery ministry, Quest 180, led by former addicts who are now sober and God is using their story to help other people. God wants to display his immense patience and mercy and he wants to display it through you. He wants your life to be a banner of his love and power. About a month ago, my wife and I were driving to a park near our house. We're going to go on a walk. And we're going down kind of a busy street. And all of a sudden, my wife goes, stop. She goes, turn, quick, turn around. And so I kind of pulled into the left lane and, and turned around. She said, that house back there, there was a banner stretched across the front yard. And she said, the banner said, do you need hope? And then all she said she could see was the numbers 9 and 11. So we turned around, and here's what we saw. This banner across the front yard, need hope? Online at 9 and 11 on Sundays, eaglebrookchurch.com. My wife said, you have got to go say hi. So I pulled into the driveway, and the husband, who's probably in his 20s, early 30s, was getting out of his car and kind of looked like, you know, who is this pulling into my driveway? And I'll tell you, when the pastor shows up at your house unannounced, that's either really good or really bad, right? Like, it's either like, oh, wait, this is cool, or it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, what, what, God, what did you tell him? This was a situation where it, it, he was happy. So he said, oh, I got to go get my wife. So he ran inside. He got his wife. And she came back out. And I said, you've got to tell me about this banner. T tell me the story of this. She said, when COVID-19 started to become public and, and it was, you know, well known. She said, I felt so hopeless and discouraged. And I wondered if other people were feeling the same way. And so she said, I started to pray, God, what can I do to point people to you and to give them the hope that they need? And she said, then I had this idea to, to put up this banner in my front yard. I, I live on a pretty busy street. And right away, she was like, that is crazy. That is nuts. Like, is that even legal? She told a friend about it. She said, I don't even know how to make a sign like that. And her friend said, well, we'll call so-and-so. He, he runs a printing company. He'll, he'll do it for you. And so she's like, okay, God, you know, I guess, I guess this is what you're calling me to do. She said that she was listening to messages at our church, old messages. And in one of them, we said that opposition is oftentimes a sign that you're right where God wants you to be. She said, I needed to hear that. Because when she put up this huge sign, this banner in her front yard, she said the reaction was mixed. There was people in her life who were like, wow. Whoa, wow, wow, well, that's, that's a big sign. There was another person who was like, that's in your front yard? She said, I was feeling so discouraged and feeling like I must not have heard God right. This is so weird. 
She said, but then somebody stopped and took a selfie by it, which is the first sign that God's on the move, right? Like when you see that, you just know, okay, God, you're, you're with me. But then another couple stopped and they introduced themselves and said, we go to Eagle Brook. And then the coolest one was a neighbor walked over and said, I do need hope. I feel so hopeless. I feel so discouraged and I don't have a church. Would you tell me what this is about? And this person started watching our services online and God began to fill them up with hope and meaning and purpose. I came the night they had put this banner up. They had put it up during the day. I came that night and she emailed me afterwards, the, the woman who was you know, putting this up, and she said, it was such a sign from God when you came. She said, of a big of a church as we have, for you to happen to drive by and then to stop and come in, she said, it was like God was telling me, you did hear me right, keep going. And then she said, and sometimes God says, and I'm just going to show off. Now, you may not be called to have a banner up in your front yard, but I am telling you that God wants every one of us to put a banner up with our life. That your life would display God's immense mercy and patience. That your life would be a banner of his love and his power. Once again, Paul said to Timothy, he said, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... If you feel today like you are the worst of sinners, then you are a prime candidate for God to go, yeah, you. I, I, I pick you. And you're going, me? God goes, yeah, yeah, you. I want you. I want to fill you up. I want to come into your life so that I might display the immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's the truth. You cannot change the past, but Christ can change your future. Paul could not change his past. He had murdered Christians. He had opposed a movement of God, but Jesus Christ changed his future. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says about this. He says, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint. By the way, when the Bible uses the word saint, it's not referring to someone who is a super you know, good Christian and who achieved this level of sainthood. When the Bible uses that word, it's talking about any person who's put their faith in Christ. So any person who's put their faith in Christ is a saint, and every saint has a past. King David committed adultery, and then to try to cover it up, he committed murder. And yet God still looked at him and said, you are mine. Moses was unqualified. He had a stuttering problem. He too murdered a man. And God looked at him and said, you are mine. Paul murdered a prominent Christian named Stephen, and yet God still looked at him and said, you are mine. You may want to jot this down if, if you happen to have a notebook near you, but who you were yesterday doesn't have to limit who you can be today. You do not have to let your sin define you. 
you are not just the party girl anymore. You are not the drunk or the addict. You are not the liar or the adulterer. You don't have to be the girl who feels unworthy and so therefore she dates guys who treat her poorly. That's not who you are. You don't have to be the guy who feels like he was always picked last or was a failure. You don't have to still be mad because of your parents' divorce and just carry that chip on your shoulder. You don't have to be the person who has to make everybody laugh just to cover up your insecurities. Jesus Christ can change a person's life. When Paul came to faith, there was a transformation. There was an altering of his core identity. He was no longer just the worst of sinners. He was also the child of a king. Did you know that you have a father like that? Walt Disney, according to his daughter Diane, who wrote a biography about him, tried to live as normal of a life as possible. In fact, when Diane went to kindergarten on the first day, five years old, she introduces herself. She says, my name is Diane Disney. And the class just starts going nuts. I mean, kids are talking, Disney. And she kind of looks around, not knowing what, what's going on. And so the teacher says, well, what's your father's name? She said, Walter. The class was like going nuts, like Walt Disney and the teacher... And, and, and Diane looked at them like, I, I don't get it. And the teacher said, have you ever been to Disneyland? And, and Diane said, yeah, we've, we've been there a lot of times. She said, Disneyland, Mickey Mouse Club, I'm pretty sure your father owns all of it. Diane said, I had no idea. She went home that day and Walt Disney was sitting in a chair reading his newspaper. She walked in, ripped the newspaper out of his hands, and she said, you never told me you were Walt Disney. Diane writes in her biography, I walked around for days, stunned at who my father was. Do you ever walk around stunned at who your father is? Many of us walk around discouraged about our circumstances, we're despondent about the future, we're anxious or stressed about something in our life. But do you ever take a moment and just pause and be stunned by who your father is? Look at what Paul writes to Timothy in the very next verse. He said, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever." And ever. Your father is a king. He rules over the entire universe. Your father is immortal. There's never been a time when he ceased to exist. There's never been a moment when God began to exist. He always has been, he always will be, he will never die. He is immortal, he's invisible. You're not walking down the street going, oh, there, there, there's God. I just saw him over the other day at Costco. He's invisible. He's everywhere all at once. He's a spirit. And he's the only true God. And he deserves honor and glory forever and ever. When I was reading this section of 1 Timothy in my Bible, I wrote in the margin, know who you are and know who God is. 
if you know those two things, if you know who God is and you know who you are, you will not be shaken in life. Do you know who God is? He's a king. He's eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. He's full of mercy, patience, grace, and forgiveness. That's who God is. Do you know who you are? And do you know what your value is to him? Wouldn't you agree that something's value is determined by what other people are willing to pay for it? For example, here's a picture of Michael Jordan. I've been watching The Last Dance dance documentary that came out about Michael Jordan. It was a 10-part series, and it was like the highlight of my shelter and home. I don't even know what I'm going to do now that it's over. But in that documentary, at one point, they said that before Michael Jordan's rookie season, Nike offered him a five-year contract worth $500,000 a year. Was it worth it? Well, in 1985, the first year that the Jordan 1 basketball shoe debuted, it made $100 million. So yes, it was worth it. This is a picture of a Lamborghini Veneno. It is worth, or they'll they'll charge you $4.5 million. Is it worth it? Well, I'll let you decide about that. It goes from 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds and reaches a top speed of 221 miles per hour. This next one is a painting. It's a painting called the Salvatore Mundi. It was done by Leonardo da Vinci, and it was recently purchased by a Saudi prince for $450 million. Was it worth it? Not to me it's not. That's creepy Jesus. I didn't even know that was Jesus the first time I saw it. I thought it was a woman with a mustache. And no offense to women with mustaches. But that's, that's creepy Jesus. I don't want to wake up in the morning and have that painting in my bedroom. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night. creep. You, you go downstairs to get a snack and that's over the fireplace. Like, oh my, creepy Jesus looking at me. But here's what's interesting about this painting. They did a study on it after it was purchased by this Saudi prince, and French experts found that it might be a fake. Might have spent $450 million on something that's not real. But here's my point. Wouldn't you agree that something's value is determined by what other people are willing to pay for it? With that in mind, what's your value? Well, to other people, I don't know, but to God... 1 Peter chapter 1 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. He means that Adam and Eve and every human being after them has sinned. And sin leads to an empty life. Some of us know what this is like right now. You just feel empty. I'm telling you, God paid a price to ransom you from that. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God 
ransomed you with a price. Not $450 million in gold. That will eventually lose its value. He paid for you with the blood of his precious son, Jesus Christ. Paul echoes these words to Timothy. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Elsewhere, Paul in Romans 5, he said this, God demonstrated. He showed. He didn't just say, I love you. He displayed it. He demonstrated it. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how much God loves you. No one is too far from God. I want to show you the story of a man named Jason. This past Easter, we told the story of people whose lives have been transformed by God. We had them walk out and they would show what their old life was like on a cardboard and then the light would shine through and you would see what their new life was. And I wanted you to see a little bit more of his story because it's incredible what God can do in a person's life. Take a look. Uh, my name's Jason Rosandich. Uh, I'm uh, almost 52 years old. A long story short, uh, February of 1987, I was down in Fort Benning, Georgia, the United States Army Infantry Basic Training Camp, and started a four-year commitment to the United States Army and Infantry. When I got in, I was proud. Uh, gave an oath to my country, and that oath will never have an expiration date. August 2nd, 1990, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait with the National Republican Guard and Iraqi Army. 15 days later, I left for Saudi Arabia for Operation Desert Shield. I was in an armored unit. I was actually a mortarman clearing foxholes, uh, processing POWs. Some interaction with small arms fire uh, with some of the National Republican Guard. I have seen violence unlike any other. Um, you know, I spent approximately 12 to 14 days on a burial detail uh, that cleaned up we cleaned up the battlefield and uh is this bad um and i guess at 18 you never thought about the mental consequences that the psychological consequences it was so surreal that you know we trained for this but we never saw it now it's right there now it's right in front of you is it haunting yeah it is it's haunting um but it's war i mean plain and simple it's war i'd find out later as a result of those experiences in Iraq, that I had a very severe case of PTSD. I've struggled with uh, night terrors, nightmares, um, but then there was a lot of erratic behavior with uh, self-medicating. I'm sort of an adrenaline junkie, fast motorcycles, jumping off of big cliffs into water. If it could raise that adrenaline to what I once experienced, I was probably gonna make that poor decision to go do something that might endanger myself or even possibly others. Um, so yeah, I was spiritually bankrupt. I was codependent on female relationships. Sexual purity definitely wasn't a thing. Meth addicted alcoholic, my worth to any work that I was doing would be C minus at best. I was facing consequences of prison time of up to two years. I just was at a bottom and I really felt like I was too far gone. My turning point came on January 2nd, 2018 after spending two weeks with my daughter 
as she helped me detox from methamphetamine. And I spent an hour on my knees and I got with God and said, I need help. I need to find a new and better way. As an Army infantry veteran, surrendering was never an option. And for me, what I did is I fully surrendered. I asked Jesus back into my life. I stepped out of the pilot seat and I waited for Christ to show me the way. And I was willing to follow him. And I'm finding now, and maybe it's my maturity or the therapy that I've gone through for my PTSD is Jesus and coming to him and praising and worship every day is something that I have to do. And I feel proud to do. I feel that I can be one of his soldiers, right? No matter what happens, no matter what comes down the pipe, as long as I stay in his word and with him, my commander is there and uh, Christ is my commander. This is a growing relationship and, and I, you may sort of sense my uncomfortableness because I still question if I'm getting this right. I still feel like I'm so much of an infant. And that's the journey I'm on now is realizing that instead of getting caught up in my daily emotion or anxiety or depression that all I have to do is just reach out my hand and he's gonna take it. And that's a pretty cool thing. I used to think all I was was a disabled vet with PTSD, and now I know that I am clean, grateful, and a servant to Jesus Christ. No one is too far from God. There's not one person here today who's too far from Him. All you have to do is reach up your hand, and He will take it. You may think of yourself as the worst of all sinners, but I am telling you, God can change any person's life. You cannot just be the labels that you've had in the past, but you can be the child of a king. And so today I wanna lead you in a prayer and I want to invite those of you who have never had a moment where you've said, Jesus Christ, I believe in you and I surrender to you. What he talked about in the video of God, I, I'm before you and I surrender my life fully to you. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to lead you in just a moment in a prayer. And if you pray this prayer with me, would you just take a moment to let us know about it? Would you text the word 55 or the numbers 555? I'm sorry, text the word BEGIN to 555-888. Or if you're on Facebook or one of our social media, you can just comment BEGIN down in the chat. And we want to give you 12 weeks worth of free resources to put those in your hands so that you can begin this relationship with God. I truly believe that no one is too far from Him. I truly believe that all you have to do today is reach up your hand and He will grab it and there is hope and there is life available in Jesus Christ. And so let's pray together. God, right now, there might be people watching this who say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I feel so far from you. But God, right now, they are lifting up their hand they are surrendering their life. And God, I pray that you would save them and forgive them. God, right now with me in the quietness of their mind, they're just going to pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. 
I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would save me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that I too might have eternal life one day. But God, right now in this moment, I am surrendering to you. I am surrendering my whole life, my whole heart, and I am surrendering it to you, Jesus Christ. God, for the rest of us here today who maybe have prayed a prayer like that, but still have moments where we feel so far from you, I pray we would reach up our hands today. That we would reach up for the hope and the purpose and your presence that is available to us every single day. God, we love you so much and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with me, we are so proud of you. I really, truly believe that Jesus Christ can change a person's life. He does it all the time. And so you are on a whole new trajectory in your life right now. Next weekend, we're going to continue in this series, What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a leader. You might be surprised that you are a leader. You may not think of yourself as a leader. But if you are a parent, you're a leader. If you are a person who your peers look to, if you're a middle school student, high school student, you are a leader. If you own a company, if you work in a company, if people report to you, you're a leader. So many of us are leaders and we need to get better in this area of our life. Paul talks to Timothy about it. We're gonna talk next week about how to become a better leader. We'd love to have you join us for that. We'll see you then.